Hello there, you're listening to number 12 of Miradas, a podcast on Latin America. My name's Laurie Blair, and my interviewee in this episode is Marco Aviles, a Peruvian journalist and the author of several acclaimed books, including No Soy Tu Cholo. As the title suggests, uh, the book is in a personal examination of racism in Peru and the United States, where Marco lives now, drawing on James Baldwin, among other writers. Our conversation was recorded back in April, but it's only become more relevant, I think, in the wake of the generation-defining Black Lives Matter protests in the US and around the world. Marco spoke about how Peru's treatment of its indigenous and mestizo population mirrors that of African Americans, and discussed his reporting on the impact of coronavirus on the Latino community in the US. There's a link to a transcript of our conversation in the show notes if you want to read that, and you'll be hearing from John at the end. Enjoy. Okay, so I'm joined down the line from Maine uh, in the US by Marco Aviles, a writer and journalist uh, originally from Peru. Marco, thanks for for coming on the podcast. Um, I want to kick off with a with a quote um, from perhaps your your uh, most well known uh, book, uh, non fiction book, No Soy Tu Cholo. Um, and you write, and this is my translation here. Uh, in my experience, in any Western country, be it the United States or Peru, things for people with brown skin are more or less the same thing. Uh, la misma vaina, uh, as as you write. Um, now we're in the grip of the, this kind of coronavirus pandemic. You've obviously kind of got a foot in in both of those two countries. Uh, are you seeing the same thing? Are you seeing that that you know people who you know who aren't white are, are experiencing the same problems and and difficulties? Yes. Um, thank you for the for invitation. So yeah. Um, so I think that this pandemic is making this uh, divisions and fractures and racism more visible. Because when the when the when the virus like spreads uh, in Peru, for example, now that it, it is spreading through all the country, you can you can see how like the poorest and brownest uh, and blackest communities are being impacted like uh, deeply, and in the suffering of of this. Uh, Communities, especially indigenous, for example, are very, very, um, are very, very deep, and it show show us how the country is divided after like two hundred uh, years of independence, which mm-hmm. is like a big landmark. And in twenty twenty one, the country well, actually, the country before the pandemic was preparing to celebrate this. Uh, 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 200th anniversary of sure. independence, and so we were in that celebratory mood. But now the pandemic, like, has brought us into like um, into the, in, into a very very interesting uh, situation because we, of course, we are not celebrating, but we are seeing things that we were supposed to have like um, uh, solved in the past, mm. but. Yeah, but now, for example, we see indigenous people suffering because there are no hospitals available in their communities. Yeah, I've seen that you've you've shared an image with a few comments um, showing 
uh, uh, I guess, Peruvian emigrants, people who've left the country, but have come back and, and they've been put up in these kind of seemingly quite nice hotels while they self-isolate in, in Lima, um, compared with people who uh, have, you know live in Peru, but have gone back to, to, to their perhaps their homes in somewhere like Ayacucho, for example, and are being put up on these mattresses on the floor, bunk beds, you know, sharing the same toilet, dozens of families. It's it's really quite striking to see that difference between the way people are treated. Exactly. And so the, the difference is undeniable. So, so you have you see how the, the same state structure treats people differently. People that are coming from abroad, like from vacation. There, there, there's, a, there's a guy who, who recorded his journey from coming uh, from Cancun to Lima, held by the, by the government. And he recorded all this journey, and um, he was very happy because the, the government put him in a nice hotel to uh, do the quarantine. So you see the difference between these people and the people that you described that are just uh, running away from from Lima because they don't have food or they, they you know they don't have uh, attention, and they are like um, they are put in like places that are horrible because of the conditions, like no bathrooms, no water. So, so, so how, how is this possible? Explanations are like always available and people, people can say, oh yeah, but the national government is like doing the repatriation of like people abroad, but in local governments are doing these mistakes with people like moving within the country. But Mm. yeah, it doesn't mean anything because it's the same state that are treating people different. Of course. So, and this happens all the time with education, with hospitals, in, uh, with the health system, there are like complete areas in the jungle or in the, in the highlands, in the Andes, where people don't, don't, don't have access to, to hospital. But yeah, uh, as I was talking to our friend this morning, it's, this pandemic is, be, is very interesting because it is helping us see this like, uh, situation Mm. this dramatic uh, situation but at the same time we feel that this is not the time that where uh, when we are going to solve these like structural problems right so it's like very very um uh, it's an in- interesting situation yeah I mean, it's it's incredibly uh you know revealing i think in 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 all countries around the world it sort of throws light and and brings into relief these these kind of structures and and we're seeing in 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 the U.S. as well, um, obviously, uh, the, the evidence seems to be that people, you know, Af- African American or, or Latino, are suffering from, uh, you know, suffering worse from this disease. Not only in terms of economic hardship, but also in terms of being more likely to contract and 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 die from this disease. And it's funny to see people trying to make excuses for that there as well in the U.S. and saying, well, well, that's because of underlying health conditions. It's like, well, well, yes, but then why are the those conditions more prevalent in? In, in those in those communities, you know, um, it comes back to the to, to the, this problem which you've you know which you've reported on and written about extensively, the, these kind of inequalities really. Um, I mean, you know, did, you've reported on on how the uh, Latino community in the U.S. is is experiencing this crisis. Um, uh, we'll, we'll link in the show notes to to an article, a great long form piece you've written for for Salud con Lupa um uh, talking you know where you you 
you've, you've, I think you've, you've met 24 people, you spoke to 24 different, different undocumented people, uh, Latino people in the US, none of whom had health insurance. I mean, what, what really, what was it that really struck you about in reporting that story? You know, what, what, what kind of, what kind of things were you seeing in terms of, uh, how those communities are, are struggling to, to, to face up and, and respond to this crisis? Um, yeah, when, what, what is really, um, um, I don't know, um, what is really hard is that I work with, uh, Latino and undocumented communities for, for a while, mm. even here in, in, in the U.S. I used to work as a, as an interpreter for, um, farmers, Latino farmers mm. that are working in, like, in different parts of, of Maine, and I used to, like, drive them from the farms to the hospitals when they needed like attention so i was just like uh, aware of the vulnerability of these of these people because they because they they work for uh legal uh companies like farms but at the same time they are like as they say illegal so they don't have like health insurance they don't have like any um any help from the from the state, mm. um, and you know there there are lots of nonprofits that try to cover that situation, providing uh, health assistance and trying uh, they they sometimes cover the bills and stuff like that. But during this pandemic, it's it was very very um, horrible to see how the same structure that helped these people uh, be more easily exploded mm. it's also like making these people more likely to to die and it's like very it's very crazy because it's like the system is so so bad and at the same time um, at, at the same time we don't we don't necessarily see how bad the system it is mm. with these people because these people are invisible so it's yeah. very, so these these people, Latino and undocumented, are very in, invisible. And during this pandemic, they are invis still invisible. And so we don't see them suffer. We don't see them uh, in the streets, like claiming for the more help for the government. They are like just, as I said in the in the article, sometimes a lot of a lot of times just dying, uh, dying out in their in their houses, in their in their yeah. apartments. And it, it's striking that, that you mentioned that, you know, many people in Maine aren't even aware that the, the state has quite a, a large Latino community, you know, that they're completely unaware of who it is that's that's picking, picking their vegetables and delivering their food and, and you know, doing these these kind of important jobs. Yeah, and the, the statistics are available. You know, this, uh, the Pew uh, Research Center, they, they say that uh, around, well, there are more or less 11 undocumented people living here in the U.S. and more or less like 7 to 8 million of these undocumented people are working in legal industries like farming, construction, mm. uh, the hospitality industry. So these people are part of the system. But uh, the system, is this is the, the crazy part, so the system needs these people because yeah. without uh, undocumented farmers, People wouldn't be uh, eating what what they eat now in the in the U.S. So 
all the the food that are coming to your table I, uh, uh, this food is probably uh, you know harvested by undocumented uh, uh, people so the construction industry in places like New York for example wouldn't exist if the, if the, the companies uh, didn't hire undocumented people of course. Why, does, why, why does the system need undocumented people because they are cheap and they are vulnerable if they are sick if a person and I saw this very closely in farms if a, if a, a undocumented worker gets sick so the company just change the, the worker the worker goes and the company doesn't pay any uh, anything for 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 uh, exist, uh, this person uh, sickness sickness and mm. the company just changes the worker so they are very uh, easy to change easy to replace they are cheap and the most starting like thing is that how do we so it is like uh, so this is the same country, the U.S., mm. where slavery uh, was like uh, very, very like well documented, and we know how slavery was here. You know, mm. the um, uh, or, or white uh, white uh, landowners like treating like slaves like so badly, like killing them and da da da. But how is is this? Where is the relationship between this country that need and exploit undocumented people in the country that uh, used uh, free uh, black labor for centuries. Mm. It's the same thing because these people that are exploited are pe people without rights. So undocumented people are people without rights. They don't have rights to like, you know, be um, to speak about their their problems. So it's it's very it's very crazy because this is capitalism, right? Yeah. And we don't want to talk about it. I mean, it's it's. it's it, 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 mm -hmm. I mean, no. I mean, I I I think that's a really fascinating kind of point you you make there. This idea that there's these kind of um, continuing trends, a continuing dependency on part of the kind of white wealthy um, U.S. American upon this sort of underclass, which which you know effectively does does the labour. Um, and and you know I I kind of guess if we're going to sort of um, you know uh, uh, coin a phrase or paraphrase Vargas Llosa, I could say you know the, the moment in which the U.S. kind of you know gets fucked up you know the moment in, in which se jodió is 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 that original moment of 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 you know of slavery you know which is obviously marked you know by the by the New York Times and that big sort of sixteen nineteen project. Um, you know, uh, over the past year or so, um, and and yeah. you so know, so no, no, go on. I was, I was going to ask you. You know, do, do you see slavery and colonialism in 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 Peru uh, as the kind of original sin, as the moment where where all this these kind of contemporary problems come from? Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, so there is this concept of the afterlife, afterlives of slavery. Uh, here in the US, it's very like, popular in academia, you know, yeah, slavery like legally ended, but it didn't mm. end up in like, uh, 1865, because after slavery, we, we in the US have, we had like the Jim Crow, you know, um, equal but separated. 
the, after that we have the, this mass incarceration system where like uh, the, the system puts a lot of like um, black uh, people in uh, prison so they can profit from their work and also from just like having them there right mm. so in peru how can we like think about the afterlives of slavery of course but also the afterlives of what we what we have there with this like feudal system sure. where uh, haciendas you know uh, i don't know how to say hacienda in yeah in i mean I, it's quite it's uh, one of those words you don't really translate but sort of estates plantations i guess um you know, the encomienda hacienda system. Yeah. So, yeah. so these like, plantations used to have also like free or very cheap uh, labor using indigenous uh, people. So it, it's, it is supposed that it ended during uh, Reforma Agraria in 1969. Mm. But it didn't end it then because it con you can... You can uh, we can see people, indigenous people, uh, suffering from uh, from from what uh, the system did with them along this century. So the system uh, kept them away from having property. So over centuries, indigenous people were not allowed to have like property and to build, uh, uh, you know, uh, richness. Like, mm, yeah. Yeah. And and the the poverty that you see in indigenous communities is coming from there. It's not coming from from all these crazy ideas that oh indigenous are just so lazy or they, they are so like uh, evil. They just like to dream. No, this will this these people are the the uh, descendants from people who were like treated like uh, slaves in in. In farms and in, in, in by by uh, elites in in Peru. Mm, mm. And 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 it, it's you, you, you've written elsewhere um, that you know Peru can kind of be understood that contemporary Peru can be understood as a as a sort of post conflict society. Um, obviously, you know uh, during the eighties and well, you know into into the nineties, we had the 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 internal. Uh, armed kind of violence, the civil war, for, for want of a better phrase, um, you know, which obviously affected the highlands around Ayacucho the, and uh, Huamanga, the worst, and obviously saw bombings in Lima as well. Um, and and it, it, it feels as though recent history is, is really uh, controversial and really painful. You know, you, you mentioned there the, the agrarian reform under Velasco. We obviously marked the 50th anniversary of that last year, uh, there's been new films and, and documentaries about that, and that seems to be creating a lot of polemic as well. You know that there's been lots of controversies about the the lugar de memoria, the the memory museum in 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 Lima as well, and as to whether or not that's making an apology for terrorism. Or, or it, it seems as though the, the, these past in the past few years or so, this kind of recent history has become a lot more controversial and a lot more fresh is, is that your sense as well do you, do you think people are starting to debate the past couple of decades uh, a lot a lot more in 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 peru at the moment yeah what 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 happens in in peru and not only with um with uh with with uh the 
conflict or the civil war that we we just had like a few decades ago it's like um we peruvians cover history uh on a regular basis we 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 put like we like to put dirt on history so it is so history itself is hard to read or to be to be read mm. so uh after this civil war ended so uh, a lot of uh, a lot of politicians tried to cover for example the responsibilities from the uh, uh, from the army from the from the soldiers because they also uh, killed a lot of people trying to fight these uh, guerrillas right so guerrillas were were very bloody they they murdered a lot of people but also the army did a lot of killing mm. but the system tried to tried to like erase the responsibility from from the army so at the end we have like a very uh, not accurate uh, history in the people the young people who approaches to our recent history they are like not reading it like they are not reading it exactly as it happened mm. and they have like a more official like um, history and we are building a country that way like over and over and over uh, centuries and it's 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 um i don't know if this is like the best way to say it but it always elites are writing the uh, mainstream history the mm. history that is taught in schools mm. so how how can we like build a healthier country if we don't know exactly what is our what are uh, our sickness mm. are right mm. um so what what happens now with this pandemic for example and how this pandemic is showing showing us peruvians the the way indigenous communities are, are living is like it's very like um and i don't know it's very it's very very crazy because the official history of our present is that okay we are a poor country but we are doing better and better and better because of capitalism and, and free market and we have this uh, big city in lima where we have more uh, wealthy people than ever so that's our history and that's how we peruvians like to see ourselves mm. but what about the peruvians that are that are in the amazon jungle or that are in, in the Andes, mm. they the this history of the wealth, the you know the wealthy cities are not theirs. So what's the history of these Peru other Peruvians? Is a their history is more related to not being able to build uh, wealth. They are like kept apart from this. Uh, uh, yeah, from the progress. Yeah. But how can we tell their story at the same time when we are telling our like positive story of like becoming a, a wealthier country? It, it is it is very it's kind of like a scientific problem, right? Mm, mm. Because if you are being being positive about about yourself, about how you are doing, 
you don't want to recognize that you, you are like keeping millions of millions of people um, away from from progress yeah it's it's really and, inter- I, think, and I think that is the, the that, that's a history of all Latin America because we have indigenous people all over the country all over the, the countries and Latin America is like basically two continents one continent where you where, where you have like white and mestizo communities like living in cities and then you have a totally different continent overlapped but uh, where um, indigenous communities and, and, and black communities have, are struggling so mm. it's just two continents that, that that's a really interesting kind of perspective and and um i i think you you as you've kind of yourself have written you can see traces of that in 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 the u.s as well as another kind of american uh post-colonial society um but it but it is striking i think in peru you know you obviously have those social cleavages those social differences but they're they're kind of buttressed they're reinforced geographically so strongly you know there's that division so clear between the coast sierra and and the and the jungle and 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 that sort of coastal history seems to be kind of very different um from from its own trajectory its own like you say its own story about about where it's going i mean i I wonder whether whether you're you know obviously in the past couple of years that there's been you mentioned the huge growth of the past two decades in terms of gdp terms um we've seen it seems the beginnings of a bit of a, a kind of backlash against corruption we've seen the the fujimoristas kind of their star is maybe waning a little bit, you know, various members of the family are, are in jail or back in jail. Um, and Peru's current president, Martin Vizcarra, is kind of trying to crack down, it seems, on a lot of th- these these kind of problems. Are you kind of, are you optimistic? Obviously, the current situation is, the current moment worldwide is really uncertain. But, but you know, do you, do you, do you have reason for kind of optimism in, in the in the direction of, of Peru or, or do you think even before this crisis things weren't going in in, in the right direction um, yeah I mean I I feel like an optimistic person besides I sometimes sound like pessimistic <laughs> but for me optimism has to do with action but because I have a I have many friends that that are feeling optimistic, but just like um, uh, just like, like in like if optimism was a mood, you know. Oh, I I'm trying to smile. I'm I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to be optimistic by just smiling, mm. you know. But I mean, that's not uh, optimism. That's <laughs> that's all. Like I I don't know. <laughs> that's like self deception. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can you can you can get that optimism by like smoking weed or uh, <laughs> drinking a couple of beer with your friends, and then you feel like a little like nice and you know nice. But optimism for me has to do with action. And uh, are we in Peru in a position where we can be optimistic, optimistic because we are feeling that we can like do a structural change? So I think I think we we are getting there. We are getting to that point where we can really do a structural change. But when can we? When when are we going to do those that structural change? Like in the next government in ten years? I 
I certainly don't know. I think that President Vizcarra is like a, it's been a, like an efficient leader in times of crisis, but uh, the sad part is that he doesn't have a political party. And people like him that are like kind of like efficient and not like uh, not corrupted, you know, mm. they they are they are kind of like out, outsiders because the the political parties are very 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 corrupted and corruption is like um, a way to say that they are very related to the to the um, uh, wealthy wealthy. Uh, elites sure um, but we need I think we over like for, for the last two decades I think we are like claiming for more um, um, more leaders to to get into the political arena and we have a lot of like um, talented and I don't know honest professionals and like leaders Mm. But the political arena is so so corrupted that people are like afraid to to jump in. Mm-hmm. And, but now I think what Vizcarra is doing is trying to it's, it's showing that you can be a politician and at the same time uh, a good like uh, a good person and that that is like a, like an example that. I hope people uh, uh, people are reading, like especially young people. Yeah. Because in the past, like with Fujimori, even with Toledo, Alan Garcia, Pedro Pablo Kuczynski, we we had like a lot of like bad examples of people who get into uh, politics to be successful by stealing money, and all all these persons are like, you know, in jail or like. They ended up like very, very bad. Alan Garcia committing suicide the day that he was going to be uh, sent to jail. So I, I, I'm trying to be optimistic in 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 that way, in the way that I want personally to, uh, 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 the the way that I like to be optimistic is by pushing towards the point sure. where we Peruvians. Uh, are uh, moving towards a uh, structural change, and a structural change means reconciling these two these two countries that we have mm. in the same in the same uh, in the same place. And and on on that point, you know, you, you see some politicians like uh, Veronica Mendoza talking about um, Tupac Amaru and 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 talking about um, obviously the kind of Inca legacy. Uh, when I was traveling in, in well, researching in, in Peru about a, a year and a half ago, I was uh, up in the, the kind of region around Kiabamba and, and, um, and you know, in the outskirts of Cusco and saw lots of t- local political forces calling themselves the Fuerza Inca, Amazonica, things like that. Do, do you do you think that sort of, um, I, I, I guess you call it Indianismo or, or Incaismo, do you think that's kind of a, a part of that process of... of of building a, a a movement that can reckon with those structural legacies, or or, or, or do you are you kind of cautious cautious about about that sort of discourse? Um, yeah, I, I I'm not necessarily suspicious, but I I try to see who says 
who, who says what, right? So mm. what we have within indigenismo or indigenism here is like uh, mestizos or white people talking about indigenous people. Right. No, it's, it's always indigenous people, the people that are talked about. Mm. They don't talk. They, they are like uh, the subject of uh, within a uh, broader conversation. So when in when mestizos or like white elites talk about indigenous people, they somehow connect indigenous with Incas, with the past, as if in the only way to be indigenous was uh, uh, I don't know, like wearing like Inca clothes mm. or like you know. But indigenous is just a, another way of being a. a, a a modern person. I mean, indigenous people are modern, are like rational, are like contemporary. They are doing art. They are doing. They have technology. They have. Uh, uh, I don't know. They they have philosophy, religion, mm. but the conditions uh, the, in where they are living are uh, conditions of uh, connected directly to slavery. Mm. So they are. It's, it's similar to black people in, in the in the US, right? So after like centuries of slavery, black people are suffering uh, because of they, they couldn't like build wealth. So indigenous people here is like very, very are living in a very similar situation. And one of the one of the things that is like sometimes make, makes me angry is is that condition where we are always talking about indigenous people and not letting them talk. We are keeping them a part of the talking, and and this is not only lyrical. It's like when you see in Peruvian parliament, you don't see indigenous. Maybe one, two, three. The first uh, in the indigenous congresswoman we had was mm. in two thousand and one. In the last parliament, there were maybe three or four people who self-identify as indigenous. Mm. So this is like very, very interesting because in a country where you have 25% of the people uh, calling them, themselves indigenous, why we only have like 2% of the Congress or, or the, of the parliament with uh, indigenous people? So yeah. that is crazy. We are not like the, the system, Peruvian system is not letting indigenous people in black people talk of course and um, yeah and that's uh that's that's something that we have to change like how can uh, um, how can a healthy how can we have a healthy parliament yes having more like uh diversity more more indigenous people more black people more people from like all different communities and not, not only talking about um ethnicity but also like uh, social class mm. you know mm. it's always a middle class that is like uh, having more space. Yeah, and, yeah. That, that, that's a really interesting um, perspective perspective there. And, and I kind of wonder within that, that, that project, what role you, you, you see for, for the media? I mean, I think it's fair to say that you, you, you yourself are kind of part of a, a new generation of writers um, and journalists who are sort of, um, you know, making making a bit of a splash and, and making causing a bit of reflection I, w I wonder when you look at peru and when you look at the kind of regional context who are the sort of um 
who are the kind of media outlets and who are the writers and 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 the and the kind of um i guess kind of collectives that 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 you find most interesting and 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 important um i don't know whether you know um Ojo Publico, for example in peru whether whether they they're high up on your list yeah i i would say yes uh, Ojo Publico, uh this uh, new outlet called salud con lupa there's also like reporteros like a lot of independent uh, independent media um that are doing like a, a great work um and the mainstream media is like also doing like good good stuff normally, but the the mainstream media is very similar to the uh, uh, to the <laughs> I would say to the parliament mm. where where you don't have many many different voices. Of and, yeah, and I think if you analyze all the media outlets, it's like very very similar, right? Uh, because I don't know. I I I keep saying. I I keep thinking and, and talking about this. It's like we cannot be like a modern country, keeping indigenous people away from from uh, from media, for example. Mm. So indigenous people are writing, are like thinking, are like doing great stuff, but they don't. They are not like uh, incorporated into the into the media. It doesn't matter if they are like independent or mainstream media. Like it's like we don't see them, no. Uh, but that is like something that probably is going to to change. We are we are indigenous people are also now being more more visible because of the social media or like uh, even like local independent uh, media. Mm. It's it's interesting. I mean, I've seen there are some of some of the first radio programs uh, in Quechua. I think I think there's there've been a couple of at least one news presenter, uh, you know, uh, speaking in Quechua. So it's these these small things there, which which perhaps have uh, form an opening um, elsewhere. And, and 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 just kind of finally, I wondered. I mean, this is a kind of a, a general question, but but you know, when you're writing, you know, from Maine, and obviously you're you're studying for your for your doctorate in um, in in Philadelphia. When when you write in in Spanish, for example, that great long form piece for for um, for Lupa, um, are you writing for an audience? You know, in in South America, in Latin America, are you writing for for Latinos in in the US? Kind of, I, I kind of wonder what you feel, who you feel, fulfill your audience is there. Um, so my my books were uh, I wrote them like thinking of like the. Peruvian kind of a mestizo indigenous audience, mm. uh, but a lot, of, a lot of like well, I people like connected with that book because with with, with my book because we, uh, they showed them like something that they were like uh, not recognizing. I mean the the suffering of like indigenous people, right? Mm. But in my my recent writing, I'm trying to uh, try to think outside Peru and I'm, I'm trying to think about Latin America as a place with a lot of diversity but also with a lot of similarities and one of the similarities that I see is that um, the situation of indigenous people across all our countries 
uh, is, is in black people is very is very similar. It's like um, in the the Indian situation and the situation of black people is the result of our like uh, uh, colonial history. Mm. And I'm trying to like trying to trying to like um, build a language that allows myself to talk about racism and discrimination to uh, all the, uh, in a way that is understandable for all the countries in Latin America, because uh, racism is very, it's a big problem, but also it's a big taboo, where uh, you have countries like Chile, for example, or Argentina, where racism is not a big like, part of the, it's, it's not a part of the uh, conversation, even though people feel it especially racialized people. Mm. So so I think, just to answer it uh, in a few words, yes, I'm trying to like get now to a, to a broader audience. Well, that's that's fascinating. It's a really interesting space to be working in. And, and obviously the, the UK has its own um, separate history, uh, although one also linked to slavery. But, you know, when I, when I, when I first read Nasoy um, Tucholo, I was put in mind of, of Renietta Lodge's um, "Why Am I Talking to Talking to White People About Race?" It's it's that kind of having those discussions, which I think are really um, you know fascinating for, for you know no matter where you where you stand within within those social or racial um, categories. Um, and 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 just find just finally a quick quick one. Um, you know uh, what's next? You know uh, you, you, you're you're tied up for a few years doing the doctorate. Are you still reporting? Are you still going to be writing as part of that process? Um, yeah, well, I don't know what's going to come next necessarily because we are like in the middle of something that <laughs> uh, it's like challenging us all because we don't. We are, I think, living like um, uncertainty as a uh, daily yeah. reality, right? But, of course. Um, I am. I'm, so I. I am going to be in academia for you know, doing this doctorate like for the next four years, and I'm I I like to think about this period of time of a of a of a time where I am going to be able to learn a lot from like books, from reading and reflecting. So I feel very like very happy now because I am reading in a reading like a lot and like I'm reflecting a lot. And my my beliefs are being challenged also by you know by professors by my my uh, classmates mm. in in a way that you know I I, didn't, I, I never had this like uh, uh, opportunity before mm. I was just like writing you know doing interviews like in a daily basis but not like necessarily reflecting that so much so um, I have some books that I. I wrote, but I don't think I said it's the time now to publish them. I would like yeah. to, like, at some point, write an essay about racism in, in Latin America, maybe a book, like uh, something that connects all the all what what is going on in in in, in our countries around race. Fantastic. Well, I'm I'm really looking forward to to, to hopefully reading that at some point in the future um but that's about all we've got time for um for now but um thanks very much marco and um and best of luck with your future writing oh thank you so much and yeah good luck with the podcast thank you very much cheers
There we go. Thank you very much, Marco and Laurie, for that fascinating interview. It was great to hear Marco's perspectives on race, uh, both in his literature and his own personal experiences. Of course, a very interesting time to be discussing race in the Americas. We have a mailing list that you can sign up to. Go to our website, www.maradaspodcast.com. We have an email address as well. If you'd like to share some longer reflections with us, info at miradaspodcast.com. We're on all the good social media platforms at miradaspod. We'd like to thank Diego Complido for designing our logo. The music was by La Motivante. I designed the very orange website. Uh, we're looking for a sponsor at the moment. If anybody would be interested in sponsoring us, we have a Coffee K-O-F-I account where you can give us a small amount of money, either on a one-off or a rolling basis. And if you'd be interested in sponsoring the podcast as a whole or an episode, then of course you'd be welcome to get in touch with us. Thank you and goodbye for myself and from Laurie.